0: Good evening, let's have our Bibles ready in the Old Testament book of Joel, the prophecy of Joel. About this time every year, those who follow the daily Bible reading plan that many of us use arrive at the book of Joel. Darrell did some reading from the book of Joel Wednesday night. Because of the brevity of the book it is classified as one of the minor prophets. That's because of the brevity of the book not because the content is in any way inferior with those we call the major prophets. Joel is generally classified as a minor prophet because of the brevity of the book. Tonight after some background information I'll be concerned with what Joel said about repentance. Now here's the need for that. Anyone who has any experience with sin needs to know what the Bible says about repentance. Joel makes a valuable contribution to that subject. So let's start with historical context We admit that with regard to Joel, there are some unknowns. We don't have background information about this man previous to this and his family, other than the name of his father. The precise chronology of this may be hard to pin down the first time you read the book. Judah is mentioned, however. And based on content and the reference to Judah... We are on good ground to assume that this was after the division of the kingdom, when moral and political turmoil provoked the wrath of God that was often expressed in his judgments against the people, literal judgments in time. I want you to browse with me in Joel chapter 1 for a few minutes, and we're going to discover quickly some of the sins that took the people down. God, through Joel, is identifying sin and urging repentance, reminding the people of where sin took them before. First, there is a call to the leaders of the people to be certain that their history would be transmitted to the next generation. I'm starting in chapter 1, verse 1 down through verse 3. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethunel. Hear this, you elders, give ear all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. So this is about making certain the history is transmitted to the next generation. Because of their sin, God's judgments had already hit the people, swarming locusts, devastating their crops and terrifying the people. Verse 4, what the cutting locusts left, the swarming locust has eaten, what the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. God was often dramatic and creative when He decided to signal His displeasure to people on earth back then. Locusts are grasshoppers, go through various stages of development. But each stage of development brings a certain damage as God used these creatures to signal his wrath against their sin. Joel refers to what God had already done. And then there is what might be called in verses 5 through 7, a wake-up call. You know what's happened already because of sin, so wake up, you continue in your sin... And the consequences could continue. Verses 5 through 7 specifies the consequences Joel wanted to warn them about. He says, "'Awake, you drunkards, and weep and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number, its teeth are lion's teeth.' And it has fangs of the lioness. It has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down, and their branches are made white. In a variety of judgments, God made himself clear about their sin. And what had already happened becomes the wake-up call. God had hit the drinkers. At their source, he laid waste the vineyards. Joel seems to be asking the people of Judah who were guilty of sin, does God not have your attention yet? Do you need to wake up to what you're doing? There may be future judgments like those you've already been through. And then he calls upon the sinners in Judah to lament and to be ashamed. Verse 8, lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn the ministers of the Lord. The fields are destroyed, the ground mourns, because the grain is destroyed. The wine dries up, the oil languishes. Be ashamed, O tillers of the soil. Wail, O vineyards, vine dressers, For the wheat and the barley, because of the harvest of the field that has perished, the vine dries up, the fig tree vanquishes, pomegranate, palm, and apple, all the trees of the field are dried up, and gladness dries up from the children of man. Now, all this in chapter 1 conveys to the reader, or the hearers of Joel's prophecy, the tone. And the theme, the people have drifted far away from God. These judgments were sent to get their attention and to create shame. And it all became a wake-up call. So what comes after this is an extended call to repent. And that begins at verse 13. Put on sackcloth and lament, O priest. Wail, O ministers of the altar, go in, pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, because grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Judgment from God against Judah and against other nations was a reality with future judgment on the way if people continued in their sin. So the message, the takeaway is be ashamed and repent. Now, at this point, the reader or the listener might say, well, what's involved in repentance? What is that all about? Well, I don't know if you've heard this before, but I'm going to recommend just keep reading. And over in chapter 2, verses 12 to 14, repentance is described in these terms. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster." Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God? I want to take up this text and let Joel refresh our understanding of what repentance is. And I will repeat the need for this kind of study. Anyone who has any experience with sin past, present, future, needs to maintain a clear view of what repentance is. Number one, repentance is a change in direction. In some translations, the word in verse 12 is turn. In the English Standard Version that I read from, the word is return. In either case, the word communicates a change in direction. If you were to visualize this, it would be like this. Turn, change, return. There's been a huge amount of flooding in recent weeks. You've heard about in the news, Oklahoma, Arkansas, my hometown, uh, Missouri, other places, And there's a very common warning issued when flood hits the news. Don't drown, turn around. If you are in danger and you're headed for greater danger, the best advice anyone can offer is don't keep going in that direction. Turn around, change your direction. That's the idea here in Joel 2 in his description of repentance. Joel, and by the way, the other prophets as well, identify the sin of the people, remind them of how God is displeased and has expressed his wrath already, and then says, turn around. Don't keep walking in the direction of sin with all of its consequences." Don't keep going away from God. Turn around. In the case of Joel in chapter 1, the drunkards, what would they need to do? Stop. And when God dries up the source, when the vines, the vineyards go away, you ought to get the message that you're ruining your life and destroying your family. You're provoking the wrath of God, most importantly don't keep going in that direction. Repentance means a change in direction. How many times have you heard people say something like this? I know I'm wrong. They keep going and doing the wrong. I know it isn't right, they say, but they keep doing it. That's not repentance. It may constitute a verbal confession or acknowledgement that they know they're guilty of sin, but what is necessary is a change of direction. Perhaps I know and you know where our weaknesses and deficiencies are, and we could recite our sins, but that recitation, however honest, has no value in the absence of a turn A change in direction. When you first obeyed the gospel, you turned from your sin to the Lord. You responded to directions like Acts 2.38, the command to repent and be baptized. Now, after baptism, in your life as a Christian, have you sinned? Have you surrendered to some temptation? Have some bad attitudes crept in? What God is looking for is a turning, a change in direction. And Joel and the other prophets help us understand what that's all about. Verse 12 certainly is included in this understanding of repentance. Return to me, and then it says with all your heart. This repentance we're talking about occurs in the heart. Here's a principle we can lay down with the highest level of assurance. Everything we do everything we do before God must be done with a whole heart in order for the turn Our change of direction to occur, a heart decision must be made and carried out. We have an expression we use sometimes in conversation, half-hearted. I don't have much work experience outside of local preaching that I've been doing for almost 50 years. But before preaching, I spent three years in the army. And most of the men in our unit were hard-working. They were on time. They were diligent and exhibited a good work ethic. But there were always a few. Always a few who were half-hearted. They did just enough to get by. Like a lot of people in the workplace... In modern times and a lot of children in school, they just find out exactly what they can do just to barely get by and stay out of trouble. No excellence or pride about their work. Some of these guys would actually say, I just want to do my time and get my discharge. Well, some of them did get their discharge, but it wasn't honorable. God expects excellence, full commitment. Half-hearted attitudes do not meet the demands of the kingdom. And when you sin and you confess your guilt and affirm that you will change, it has to come from the deepest place inside of you. It cannot be superficial. Repentance should be the product of mature depth of responsibility toward God and toward everything that is right and holy from the heart a genuine change of direction is what Joel is talking about after identifying their sin in chapter 1 there's the call to repent it must be a change in direction that comes from the heart the conviction of sin has to hit you inside. And it has to hurt. And that hurt and shame can become the focal point of real change that brings you back to God. Repentance is not ritual. You know what ritual is? I refreshed my knowledge the other day. I looked up the word ritual in the dictionary. And I was bored by reading the definition. A religious or solemn ceremony consisting of a series of actions performed according to a prescribed order. Did you get the tone of monotony? I mean, just the definition sounds boring, it's going through the motions. From time to time, you'll see a television news report of a religious ceremony. Men and women who are dressed in formal religious garb, they're reciting creedal statements, sometimes in languages not understood by the audience. All kinds of outward ceremony and pomp and motions, and it causes you to ask, do these people really know what the Bible says about how we ought to live? Ritualistic religion is dry and boring and can be done without any thought at all. It's based on what men came up with. God wants hearts and lives. Joel said to the unfaithful people of God, So rend your hearts and not your garments. One of the outward customs of the people in ancient times, and still today in some places, in time of regret or sorrow, would be to tear their clothes. Literally tear their clothes and maybe throw dust on themselves. The habit still prevails in some Middle Eastern cultures. Joel says, turning from sin back to God must be more than just tearing your shirt it can't be just ceremony it can't just be tearing your clothes and beating your chest and throwing dirt in the air and thinking that is sufficient the problem is deeper than your shirt sometimes you'll see someone cry in public over their sin well I wouldn't tell them to stop crying But we just all need to understand that true repentance is more than just tears. Tears may accompany genuine change, but tears of themselves do not constitute genuine repentance. It is the genuine change that comes when we are truly convicted of our sin. And we actually turn and our hearts change. It's more than just going through the motions. An additional note here for the sake of clarity. Merely changing what we do will not necessarily necessarily change who we are. There can be outward external changes in behavior that look good to people, but if those changes in behavior didn't come from a heart where God is, you haven't really changed who you are. For instance, I know people who have stopped drinking. They recognized the damage they were doing to themselves and their families and maybe their career and their income. But their heart wasn't really turned to God. They just saw the consequences of what was happening by their consumption of alcohol. Joel is talking about real change, not just some externals, not just in what you do, but who you are from the inside out. Change is indirection that occurs in the heart and that is more than just ritual. Then Joel says one more thing that we're going to cover about repentance. Repentance is made possible by the grace of God. Joel said, return to the Lord. Why, Joel? Just keep reading. Return to the Lord, for he is gracious and merciful. He will take you back if repentance is genuine. Now, that ought to get change out of us when we sin. The recognition of who God is that God is willing and ready and merciful to take us back. He is compassionate, slow to anger. He's abounding in love. Notice back in our text in Joel 2, Joel offers on behalf of God assurance and positive assurance of God's mercy. Therefore, forgiveness is extended to those who repent. But then Joel says something about the judgments, the consequences that had occurred on the earth at ground zero. In verse 14, we're going to navigate verse 14 with great care. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Now careful that doesn't mean that there was any question about God's mercy in forgiving the genuinely penitent people no this means their crops their grain fields and vineyards might be restored that would be up to God but just keep reading and look at what he did in verses 18 and 19 Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied, and I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. God, now get this clear. God not only extended mercy and forgiveness to the penitent, He also did what he didn't have to do. He restored their land, sending what he had taken away from them. So Joel is teaching them and us about the grace of God, his steadfast love and mercy that we can depend upon as the ground and motive of repentance when we turn from our sin, change direction from the heart, not just ritual and tears, then God's grace opens up to us. Now, here's where all this goes, out of the uh, Old Testament into the New. In the life and work and person of Jesus Christ, God's grace finds full expression. More than any sinner could ever earn. What is the proper response to such grace? Initially, to hear the gospel and believe in Christ and obey, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Then after baptism, as you walk in the Lord but you fall, what do you do? You turn back to Him. You change direction from the heart, not just ritual and tears and tearing your shirt. And you do that because you recognize God is gracious. Now, why was this study necessary? Again, I'll mention the need. Anyone who has any experience with sin, past, present, or future needs to maintain a clear view of what repentance is. And God's Word, in its fullness and its balance, conveys clearly to us what our responses to God should be. May those responses be seen by the Lord in our lives this week and until He comes again. Let's be standing while we sing.